Well, go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. We are going to be in Ephesians 2, verse 18. We're in a section of the book of Ephesians where we're learning how Christ transforms our relationship to God. We start with no personal relationship to God. Jesus had to come down and change that. What we see today are three pictures that reveal how Jesus must transform our relationship to God. Uh, Pictures show us our need and how Christ met that need. Uh, And so what we see is the three pictures would be, first of all, citizenship. Uh, I'll give you three guesses here if you could tell me what country these people are citizens of. Go ahead and put that picture up there. Three guesses. Go ahead and take your guess. I'm, I'm thinking you can get it right away. This is a 4th of July parade, and these are obviously citizens of the USA. Jesus came to give us citizenship in heaven. We didn't have it. He had to come and give it to us. The second picture we'll see today is one of family. Here's a picture of our family at Easter. And, you know, if like somebody, a neighbor had walked up and just like stepped into that picture, we would have smiled and laughed and then said, all right, get out because they're not a member of our family. So we were not members of family of, of the family of God. Jesus had to change that. The third picture we'll see today is that of a building. And here are some guys getting a building up. They're, they're building a house. And, and so the idea is that we were not a part of God's holy structure that he's building, but Jesus had to bring us into that. So we're going to see how Jesus alone can unite us to God. And the three pictures that we see here are one of citizenship and family and that of a building that God is putting together. Let's pray and then we'll get into the word this morning. Heavenly Father, we pray that in your word we would see what you're doing. We would see how Jesus alone can bring us to you. How Jesus alone can unite us to you and give us a relationship with you. And not only to you, but how Jesus can unify us with other believers here and throughout the ages, uh, members of your kingdom. We pray that you would show us clearly where we stand with you, what Jesus came to do, and help us to know, O Lord, that we have fellowship with God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18. Last week, we ended with verse 18 where it said this, For through him, that's Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Last week's sermon was all about how access was denied, but then Jesus granted us access when we put our faith in him. So continuing on, it says this, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So you see these, you hear these three images that are being brought up here. And the first one we're going to cover is this. You can write this down. Number one, we were foreign slaves, but Christ made us citizens of heaven. The Bible says you are no longer strangers and aliens. That idea of being an alien as opposed to a fellow citizen is the first picture that we're given. It's uh, intended to make us think to the foundation of Israel as a nation. They began in Egypt as slaves, and they were there working. They were building the pyramids, and they, they couldn't, they didn't have their freedom. And then Moses came and helped to deliver God's people, and he led them into a new land of promise where he built a new nation, and they became citizens of this earthly kingdom of God. That idea of needing to leave a land of slavery behind 
and to become citizens in a new land is a portrait of how you and I get connected to God here and how we remain connected with him in heaven forever. So we were foreign slaves, but Christ made us citizens of heaven. When it comes to, um, when it comes to citizenship, everyone who lives in America today, all of us, uh, have ancestors who came over from other countries. And when it comes to this idea of immigration, this idea of citizenship, you know, if you looked into your ancestry, most likely you would have people who made the decision to leave a foreign land to come and settle here in this country. Here's a picture uh, from of old of people who see the Statue of Liberty for the first time and they're excited and, you know, they're coming to this new land and they're starting a new life. That idea is how we get connected to God. That means that we have to admit that we were not citizens of God's kingdom. Rather, we were slaves in a kingdom of darkness. And the Bible says that God transfers us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. That has to happen at some point in your life. Now, I, I know a little bit about my family history, not a ton. But I know on my, my mom's side, it was my mom's grandparents uh, of, of her mother, her maternal grandparents, who came over on the boat to the new land. Uh, their names were Joseph and Francis Putak. And they came over from Poland on. I even know the ship. The ship was called the SS Kron Princessin Cecilia. They came over in 1907. We've got a picture of the ship. Isn't this cool? They came over on this boat and uh, named after the crown princess uh, in Germany. They made the voyage. And, and they came over, established a new life, became citizens of this country. Because of that, you know, people made that decision. That's how I got here. And when it comes to this idea of being in a right relationship to God, we have to understand that we didn't start as citizens of heaven. Christ came down to grant us citizenship in this new land, this new nation that God is forming. So we were foreign slaves, but Christ made us citizens of heaven. Jot this down. Jesus is the only king forever. When we have this idea that we're becoming citizens of a new land, Jesus is the king. And every image that we're given of the church involves Jesus being supreme and the people being united, both to Christ and to one another. And we see that in this image because Jesus is supreme as the king of the kingdom. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords, and he's the only one. Jesus has supremacy. He has authority, and he creates unity of those who are bound up with him through faith. So Jesus is the only king forever. Now, in the United States, when we think of a king, we really only have like negative connotations. I mean, maybe it's because of our origin in the Revolutionary War, you know, the, we pulled down the statue of King George and melted it down and made musket balls out of it and fired it back at the Redcoats. So maybe that kind of, you know, doomed the idea of kingship for us. When we think of kings today, all of the images are either comical or worldly concepts, right? We've got the king of pop, Michael Jackson, King LeBron James in basketball, Stephen King, the king of horror, there's the Burger King, the Lion King, the Tiger King, the King Kong. None of those give us this like positive image of, of, a, of a person we would want to like follow for eternity. So 
I am grateful, by now you know that I'm a Lord of the Rings fan, and I, I am grateful that Tolkien gave us this wonderful image in the Lord of the Rings trilogy of a king, a Christ-like king named Aragorn. Now, here's what I love about this image. He lived in obscurity for a long time, even though his birthright was that of one to rule. Then he rose up, defeated the powers of darkness. Here's a picture of Aragorn about to lead the army out into battle, and then he's the first one running out there, and you know, at the gates of Mordor, and then ultimately they win the battle, and he becomes the king, and he is crowned. And you know, when I think of that, that's a king I could follow forever. A king who defeated darkness, who established a kingdom, and who rules with justice and mercy. That is a Christ-like king. So Jesus is the only king forever. Jot this down. That means that we have to renounce the world and enter his kingdom. We have to renounce the world and enter his kingdom. Jesus told the Pharisees, the prostitutes and the tax collectors are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. The idea is that we have to enter the kingdom of God by putting our faith in the king. Whether you're raised in the church or outside of the church, whatever nation, tribe, and tongue you were born into, you must decide to enter the kingdom through faith in the king. We must renounce the world if we are to become citizens of heaven. Do you know that it's possible in the U.S. to renounce your citizenship? You can go through, it's a lengthy paperwork process. You, there's actually a fee of like $2,500. You go through this process where you could renounce your citizenship and then you've got to leave. You lose all of the rights of a citizen and get this, it is permanent. It is irreversible. You can never again become a citizen of this country if you renounce your citizenship. And listen, if you are to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to renounce your citizenship with the world. You cannot remain a resident, a patriot, a, a, a primary citizen of the kingdom of darkness, a slave under that regime, and enter the kingdom of light. It's impossible. There has to be a divorce, a great, there has to be a breaking away from your residency in darkness. You have to enter the kingdom of Christ. We were foreign slaves, but Christ made us citizens of heaven. It says in the Bible that we are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints, fellow citizens. That idea of being a fellow citizen with every other believer throughout the ages implies there's a unity. We all get in in the same way. None of us has this birthright. None of us has, you know, this, this privileged position in the kingdom. We all entered the same way. We left a land of slavery and we were welcomed in as citizens by the king. So there's this equality in this image. There's this unity in the image, but there's also the supremacy of Christ. And I've got to ask you, are you a member of the kingdom of Christ? The church is where the subjects of the king meet and gather um, but really, that's just a formal way we get together. Spiritually, are you truly, uh, have you bowed before the king? So glory in the church is the name of the series. And glory is seen in the church because we are subjects of the great king. So number one, we were foreign slaves, but Christ made us citizens of heaven. Jesus is the only king forever. We must renounce the world and enter his kingdom. Listen, eternity is a monarchy, and Jesus wears the crown. Is he your king? 
Number two, you can write this down. We were strangers, but Christ made us children of God. So the new image now is family. We were, we were strangers, but Christ made us children of God. Um, this idea of becoming family uh, in God's family was found first in chapter 1, verse 5, where it says in chapter 1, verse 5, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Christ Jesus according to the purpose of his will. When it comes to God's family, it's important to know that Jesus is the only son of God. What I mean by that is eternally. When it comes to the essence of God, Jesus is the only one who has had an unbroken bond with the Father. He never became a son of God. He's always been bound up in the Father's love. That makes him special, and that also makes him supreme. He is the firstborn son of God. That doesn't mean he was made. He's not first in in being made. He's first in rank. The firstborn in the ancient world often had twice the share of the inheritance. And it's clear in the Bible that because Jesus is the firstborn, the inheritance of heaven is his. Hey, listen, heaven is handed to Jesus as an inheritance and it's his to dispense as he pleases. And the only way we're getting in is if we become family members of God and Jesus shares with us what is rightfully his. So we were strangers, but Christ made us children of God. That means we weren't welcome in God's family. We had no place at the table. We were, in fact, enemies of God. Now, if you have children, you teach them often about stranger danger. Strangers are those people out there who are weird or frightening. Okay, like we weren't even neighbors of God. It's not like we were on okay terms, like he'd wave high and we'd wave high. There was this hostility, the Bible says, between us and God. And therefore, we were strangers, right? We were strangers. It implies that we are as far away relationally as as possible. And Jesus came down to fix that. So jot this down. Jesus is God's only son. We see again in this image how Jesus is supreme. In the family, he's not just like one of the kids. He is supreme. He is God's only son, one of a kind. But he came into the world to bring us into a family of faith. I remember around Christmas time, there was this funny picture floating around the internet around Star Wars time. Uh, here's a picture. It said, Merry Christmas from the Solos. And <laughs> you've got Princess Leia, you've got Han Solo, and you've got Kylo Ren. They have one son, right? That's it. And the thought that somebody else could like squeeze their way into that picture, you know, it, it just doesn't work out. If you saw a family photo of God, you would see Father, Son, and Spirit. That's what you would see. That is God. And when it comes to you and me, we're not members of God's family. Now, this also illustrates how in the New Testament, uh, the Jewish people were brought out of slavery into the land of promise. They were also brought out of being uh, foreigners and aliens and strangers, and they were made members of the household of God. What that implies is that the Gentiles, those non-Jewish people, were not in uh, among God's chosen people. Now that all was meant to symbolize what God was going to do spiritually. He was going to invite people into his family spiritually, just as he invited the Israelites to become his, his sons on earth, right? And so we're not, we're not called to become these, you know, uh, we're not called to enter the nation of Israel today or become citizens there. That was just a picture. And the picture was meant to show us that we are to become children of God, children of Abraham. How? Through faith. The Bible says Abraham is the father of all who believe. 
So if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the only Son of God who came into the world to save you, then you become an adopted child of God. That's the only way we can get into God's family. Jot this down. We must be adopted by faith into his family. That's the only way in. When it comes to adoption, Lauren and I know a lot of people who've adopted children. It's a beautiful expression of love. You bring someone into your own household. You give them the rights of the family. Uh, You go through the whole process of securing that so that that child will have a home, will have a family, will have a future. It's a wonderful thing. Now, we haven't done that, but we have adopted some animals into our family, right? So right now, we've got an old dog. His name is Spencer. And our old dog is getting older by the day. And so we've been talking as a family for several months about maybe it's time to get a puppy. And if we were to get a puppy, then maybe Spencer would have somebody to play with. So we finally decided this week that we are indeed going to bring a new member into our family. Uh, and so we got a puppy. And And this is the first time anyone's seen this, right? I'm going to show you a picture. This is our new puppy. We haven't picked him up yet. Aww. We haven't even named him yet. But we were uh, in contact with the person, and they're, they're, they're getting the puppies ready. They said, there's one left. And so, you know, we made the decision, and this, this puppy is going to enter our household and live under our roof. Now listen, the dog can't even over, open his eyes yet. So, so this puppy has no clue what's about to happen. But there's going to be a transfer where he enters into our household, and our kids are going bonkers. The love that's waiting for him, the future that's waiting for him, it, uh, you know, it's indescribable. Now, when it comes to us, listen, we're called strangers. We're outsiders. We're not under God's roof. And uh, God has to bring us in to his household. That has to happen at some point in your life. It can happen when you're four. It can happen when you're 40. It can happen when you're 94. But there has to be this, this bringing in where you become a member of the household of God. That only happens through faith in Jesus Christ because he is the son of God. So it says here again in chapter two, you are no longer strangers, but you are members, fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Do you see how these pictures uh, give us a glorious description of how our relationship with God is formed through Christ? But it also gives us a description of how our relationship with other people is formed. Because we're all members of the household of God and we're all adopted through faith, do you see again the equality? We've all gotten in the same way. And do you see again the unity? We're all part of the family. We're all citizens of the kingdom. And therefore, we're all equal. And at the same time, we're all under the authority and supremacy of Christ. He is the king. He is the firstborn son, right? All right, and so when it comes to number one, we were foreign slaves, but Christ made us citizens of heaven. When it comes to number two, we were strangers, but Christ made us children of God. Now we're moving on to the third picture here. We've done citizenship, then we've done family, and now we're going to do the building. Number three, jot this down. We were separated, but Christ made us sacred. We were separated, but Christ made us sacred. It says this, Uh, fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. 
This, this is frankly a, a breathtaking, magnificent description of what the church of Christ is. The church of Christ is the temple of the living God. And this means individually, we have the spirit of God living in us, but also corporately together, God is with us in a special and powerful and mighty and beautiful way. This is meant to show us that only Christ can bring us to unity with God in a way that brings his presence inside of us. So we were strangers, but Christ made us children of God. We were separated, but Christ made us sacred. This isn't just any building project that we're becoming a part of. It says that we are growing into a holy temple in the Lord. Now, when it comes to great, magnificent buildings, the church is the greatest, most magnificent building that has ever been built in the world. But physical structures give us a glimpse of the grandeur of what a building project could be, right? So, of course, we're all familiar in Chicago with the the Hancock Center, one of the most glorious buildings in our day. Here's some pictures of the Hancock Center being built in the 60s. You can see floor by floor going up. You can see it rising higher and higher into the sky. Uh, You can see it finally cresting up over the rest of the buildings. And then today, many of you, we've been up there, right? We've been all the way up to the top. We've been able to look down and, and we just marvel at how glorious of a building this is. Now, in the, the city of Ephesus, where this letter was originally written, here's a picture of the city of Ephesus. When they, when they read or heard the words uh, temple, immediately what they would have thought of is the temple of Artemis. The temple of Artemis was one of the wonders of the ancient world, and it was located right there in the city. People came from all over the world to see this glorious structure, the temple. So when they heard that we are becoming a temple of God, uh, that's what they would have thought of. We are, are that, and even more glorious than that. We are each stones in this holy structure where our God is meant to dwell. So this idea of becoming a building means that we were separated. We weren't a part of this, and then God brought us in through faith in Jesus Christ. When it comes to uh, what we were, what type of buildings we were, when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, he didn't hold any punches. Here's what he said. He said, you are whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. Hey, listen, what kind of a building were we before Christ came along and tore it all down? Listen, we were whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones spiritually. We were dead. Could there be a worse picture? But then Jesus came along and saved us. And what did he do? He began building us into this glorious structure called the church, called the kingdom of God, the family of faith. We get get to become part of this glorious building project that God is, is building. It's a new humanity tied to heaven, and God is going to be present in us in glory for all of eternity. So we were separated, but Christ made us sacred. Now again, in this portrait, we see that Christ is supreme. So jot this down. Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the cornerstone. It says that this is being built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. What does that mean? Well, when it says here, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, that means that they were appointed by God to declare the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, the message of faith. 
Jesus came down from heaven, he lived the perfect life. He died on the cross as a, as a substitute for our sins. Then he rose again on the third day. He was then lifted up to the very right hand of God where he lives and rules heaven right now. That's the gospel. And the apostles and the prophets traveled around the ancient world sharing that good news, saying, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll be saved. That's the gospel. So the apostles and the prophets laid this foundation of the gospel. And here's what that means. If you have believed the good news about Jesus, your life is being built on that firm foundation of Jesus Christ. But if you haven't yet accepted Jesus as Savior and Lord, listen, you're standing on sinking sand. Whatever you build in this life, however simple, however glorious, it's going to be swallowed up in the end. But if you're building on Christ as a foundation, then, then the storm can come and rage and, and whatever it does, and, and your house will still stand. So Jesus is described as several parts of the building in the New Testament. He's called the foundation in other places. He's also called the cornerstone here, or perhaps even the capstone, the head of the corner. All of these stones um, show that Jesus is, is prominent and essential and superior in the whole structure. You can't build without a foundation. A cornerstone was set so that all other stones would align to it and it would hold the whole structure together. And if it was a capstone, either put in the corner or in a prominent position, it was meant to be the last stone that everything else was tied into. And often that, that capstone would have the name of the dignitary of the city on it. So everything about this picture of Christ shows his glory, shows his prominence, his supremacy in the building. And when the Bible in the New Testament describes Christ as being the foundation, uh, that's a pretty strong image. Here's a picture of a, of a foundation of a skyscraper. A skyscraper, before it's built, the work is done underground, right? So in your life, you need a foundation. The foundation, the only foundation that's capable of holding you up for all of eternity is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the foundation. And in the New Testament, it says, and it even quotes passages in the Old Testament where it says that this this um, foundation, this cornerstone, has been rejected by the builders. Now that, in the ancient world, would, would have been a funny thought. The idea that the builders would have rejected this stone, which is so necessary to the building's success. In other places, it says they have stumbled over the stone, and Christ has become a rock of stone. That would be even funnier. Why is that? Well, here's a picture of a stone in the temple. These aren't small stones. And so if they're building this, this structure, this glorious structure, and then along comes the most important stone of the building, and the building, builders look at it and they're like, no, we don't need that. Everyone would have known that that is the height of foolishness as someone who's building up a structure. Here's another picture of how big these stones could have been in the ancient world for these, for these uh, ancient structures. This is like a foundation stone, right? And imagine tripping over that. The idea of stumbling over the stumbling stone means like, what, you couldn't see it? It's so obvious. And that's how humiliating it is that the religious leaders in Jesus' day tripped over Christ. Like, they tripped over that because they didn't see all the prophecies coming. 
So that means that we have to look at the glorious truth about Jesus Christ and the wonderful things that the Bible says about him. And listen, if we reject him, if we neglect him, if we just ignore him, it's like we're tripping over the biggest rock on, on the field. It's like we're, we're pushing away the thing that's going to hold the whole building together. The idea is that we're going to fall to our own destruction because our lives are going to collapse without him. So Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the foundation. He's the capstone. Jot this down. We must be cemented to him by faith. The idea here, just like the previous two images, shows us a relationship that's established with God. So we became citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We became members of the family. And now here we've become, we've become blocks or bricks or stones in this holy building that God is putting together where he's going to dwell forever. This is a wonderful promise that through Christ, we can become sacred stones in God's holy temple. No longer separated from him. No longer whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. We are sacred stones of God's holy temple filled with the very life and presence of God Almighty. Christ in me, the hope of glory. It says here, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit, says the Lord in the Old Testament. That means that we don't earn our way into this building, into this family, into this nation. We are welcomed by the King. We are welcomed by the Father through the Son. We are, we are welcomed by the, by the builder, the master builder, into our place. It's all by grace that we are saved. And the idea that this building is still ongoing is a beautiful portrait of how we can be welcomed in while we're still moving forward. I remember hearing at an international conference one of our friends and pastors from Scotland reflecting on this idea that the church is like a great sacred building that God is putting together. And he was thinking to himself how each one of us has so much further to go. We're not, we're not done yet. And, and yet the building ultimately is indestructible because God's the one putting it together. And I'll never forget what he said. He said this. He said, God builds with fragile things but he doesn't build fragile things. We are the broken stones God is using to build his church. That's a wonderful portrait. God doesn't build fragile things, but he does build with fragile things. And when you trust Christ as Savior and Lord, you become one of those broken stones God is using to build up his eternal temple forever and ever. Wow! This is meant to make us respond with awe. Look at what Jesus did for us. Look at what only Jesus did for us. And if you are saved, if you're a Christian, if you have been born again, we're supposed to hear these images and say what glory God has put in his church. What wonderful love he has demonstrated to us. And if you're not sure where you stand with God, these images give you a helpful way to evaluate where you're at along with an invitation. What is your relationship to God? Based on what the Bible says today, are you a foreign slave or has Jesus made you a citizen of heaven? Are you a stranger or has Jesus made you a son or a daughter of God? Are you separated or has Jesus made you a sacred stone in God's holy temple? 
Listen, if you've never invited Jesus to be your Savior and Lord, I want to give you a chance right now to respond to what you've heard. Jesus is necessary and unique. Only Jesus can make you a child of God. Only Jesus can make you a sacred stone. Only Jesus can make you a citizen of heaven. And this is your chance to respond to what you've heard. I want to give you a chance to talk to God in prayer right now. Let's close our eyes and let's bow our heads and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I'm blown away at what you have done for us in Christ Jesus. And I know there are many who are listening to this sermon this morning and their hearts are full of joy because they have been joined together as citizens under Christ the King. They have been joined together as family under the Father. They have been joined together as sacred stones in the wonderful cathedral of Christ. And I pray that that truth would sustain us. But Lord, there are others who, they don't know where they stand with you. Maybe they had a false assurance and thought that they've always been good with you, but now they realize that they were strangers, they were foreigners, they were aliens, they were separated. Maybe right now they are ready to confess that they need Christ Jesus as Savior and Lord. If that's you, I want to give you a chance right now to pray. You can even pray out loud if you want to, but here's what you can say. You can say, Father, I believe that I am a foreign slave in the kingdom of darkness. Jesus, come and make me a citizen of heaven. You can say that. Say that right now. Say, Jesus, become my king. You can say, Father, I believe that I'm a stranger, but make me a child of God through Christ. Ask him. Say, Jesus, I believe you're the only son of God. Say, Father, I believe that I've been separated from you, that I've been dead spiritually but come and make me a sacred stone through Jesus Christ. Say that. Say, Jesus, I believe that you are the Christ, the cornerstone, the King of heaven, the only sinless Son of God. Father, I pray that those who are praying to you right now would realize that they have been united to God by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is by grace that they have been saved through faith. It is the gift of God not by work so that no one can boast. And help them to look around and to see that they are now unified by faith with all of the saints and people of God throughout all of the ages. There's no difference between them and anybody else in the church. We are equal and we are also under the mighty authority of Jesus Christ, who is heaven's king forever and ever. Oh Lord, I pray that you would fill our hearts with this truth in the weeks ahead. And help us to know who we are, that we might experience your glory in the church. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.